Hi, I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author. If you're like me, you want real security and defense news you can trust. You're probably tired of hearing the same talking heads, guys who have never seen the front lines, saying the same BS a hundred different ways. It's why I founded SoftRep.com, military-grade news produced entirely by our staff of military veteran journalists. Sign up at SoftRep for real news, real experience, real experts. SoftRep does what the mainstream media can't, deliver authentic content straight from the front lines. Sign up for a free trial membership today, and I'll give you my best-selling ebook, The Red Circle, for free. But that's not all. Your SoftRep membership also includes access to cutting-edge defense and security news by military experts, access to our award-winning documentaries, ebooks, special member events, and much more. So what are you waiting for? Let us know you're in. Sign up for your free trial membership today. Join our community at SoftRep.com. That's S-O-F-R-E-P dot com. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and Straight Talk with the Guys in the Community. Welcome back to Soft Rep Radio. I'm your host today, Steve Balistrieri, not your normal host, because we have a special guest on the line with us today. Stefan, who goes by the nickname of Butch Whitehead, is the National Commander of Disabled American Veterans. And the good folks over at Soft Rep know that Steve Balistrieri here, one of the writers, when it comes to disabled American veterans and the Veterans Administration, that's like a big topic of my writing all the time so they are are allowing me to do this and we want to welcome butch to the uh, podcast this morning butch or this afternoon butch welcome to soft rep radio we really appreciate your time hey thanks steve thanks for having me on and uh talking about some great great topics important to me as well and that's veterans i really appreciate it yeah and as you know the command the national commander of the disabled american veterans i mean I believe, if you correct me if I'm wrong, there's over a million members right now. Absolutely. We're a million plus, and it continues to grow, which is great. You know, obviously, memberships are very important to our organization. That keeps our voice being heard loud and clear when we're out there advocating on behalf of our veterans. So it's great to be part of such a strong organization. And isn't this year the 100th anniversary for the DAV? It is. It is. Actually, we're uh, getting ready to come up on a 100th year, which will be here this September. Uh, we'll actually mark a hundred years of uh, being in existence, and it's been a, you know, great organization. And we look forward to another decade of being around. Now, now you were elected a national commander not too long ago. Now, are you the first Iraq veteran who's been the national commander? I am. I'm the first Iraq War, uh, Iraq Afghanistan veterans elected to our organization. We've had a couple global war uh, or Gulf War, I should say Gulf War veterans, uh, but I am our very first Iraq. 
Afghanistan veteran. It's a great honor to be, be to be the person, and especially going into a hundred year to really set the precedence of uh, continuing to fight for our veterans as we come out of this war as well. Well, congratulations on that. I know that you'll do a great job with that. But before we get into a couple of the things that the issues that you know DAV is is working on this year, I, I wanted to give our readers a little background on your information. I know. I believe you started in 1991 with the, the guard up in Minnesota. Are you still up there? I am. I actually see. Yeah, I joined uh, December 1991. Uh, you know, obviously back then I joined with a family thing, but also more or less for the college benefits and everything. Because uh, you know the Gulf War just ending or getting ready to end when I first joined, and uh, it was a family tradition for me. To, uh, my brothers were all in. My parent, my grandpa, grandma. You know, we had such a strong, strong presence in the military. So. I joined, and I joined the National Guard so I could use the college benefits. And there you go. I, I was actually, I'm dating myself that that was my last five years in around that time. But, yeah, I was in at that time, so we might have bumped into each other somewhere along the line. Absolutely. You know, and so, see, I look back now, and I'm still serving right now as well. And, uh, you know, almost 20 years now, I took a little uh, drill time off when I became National Commander, and I just came back in uh put the uniform back on here in November of 2019. When I first joined, I'll tell you, I, I looked at, I was going to do six years and, you know, take advantage of college and, you know, and be done. And here, 27, almost 28 years later, I'm still serving. And it's uh, so unreal to really think about serving this long. Yeah, that's, congratulations again on that. It shows the commitment and that's what we're all about when it comes to the military. Now, I know that you served in the Iraq war, which we just mentioned a, a minute ago. I believe you went over, your unit went over in 2006. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, deployment of yours? Yeah, actually, we were, actually, it was a very, very tough deployment. You know, we're part of, first of all, where the deployment was supposed to be only a year long and ended up being 22 months long because uh, that was actually when, at, at that time, President uh, Bush did the extending of soldiers over there. So my unit was affected by that. So we had 16 months in combat during that deployment. And we lost uh, several soldiers, and it was a tough deployment. You know, we did several different types of missions. It would be convoy escorts, base security, cordon searches to convoy escorts, uh, EOD escorts, you name it. We are doing all kinds of things. So we'll, it was about 16 months. It really was. That's a long deployment, especially all combat time. Now, what, what part of Iraq were you guys mainly stationed at? I was stationed at uh, CSE Scania, or... Uh, Combat support uh, of Scania, which was just south of Baghdad, you know, on the map-wise, is probably 60, 80 miles south of Baghdad. You know, obviously, the convoys took a lot longer to get up that far. But, uh, right. yeah, so basically the halfway point between Baghdad and Diwania. A big truck okay. stop is what we were, a big truck stop. And I know that, obviously, you're a disabled American veteran yourself. You suffered a traumatic brain injury over there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that? Yeah, you know, to get easier and easier, Steve, as I, you know, share the story, it's always hard to really bring it up. But, you know, on any two, it can help me and myself continue to recover. But February 22nd, 2007, our, our base came underneath a mortar attack. Um, and uh, we actually, the first volley was uh, nine or 10 uh, rockets they fired at us, and we all made it out of that just fine. And as we were given all clear where I was going out to check on my soldiers to make sure they're all counterful and all that. And that's when they fired another six rockets at us. And uh, three of the six rockets hit our base, which was one was about 40, 50 meters right behind me, which knocked me over. So that was a tough night. We lost 
three soldiers that night and several wounded. Um, and uh, it was something I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. It really will be. Yeah. And did you suffer like, I mean, were you aware that, you know, you had obviously taken a bad injury right off the bat? Or was that something that came on later after you got home? It came on later, Steve. It really did. Um, just the adrenaline alone, you know, I got up uh, not even knowing what really truly happened. I got up and, you know, I ran two covers, took one to the bunker. Then I rounded up my soldiers, and then we are actually on um, QRF mission that night. So, of course, first thing came I came to mind to me was jumping out and getting our vehicles and, you know, going out after them. So it wasn't until, you know, when I came home and I realized what all happened when I went to the VA and explained everything that they died, you know, they, they determined that I had uh, suffered a concussion during that time. And um, it was it's weird how our body reacts when you take, you know, get into that adrenaline and you don't realize it. you know, I didn't have any shrapnel in me and things like that. And uh, that concussion, how it actually can have a long-term effect on you the rest of your life. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're just now scratching the surface on those type of, you know, invisible injuries. I mean, you, you see it all the time now with NFL players. They take such a beating over a long period of time and they're not aware of it. Until long after their careers were over, we're, we're finding that out with soldiers now. Because, I mean, I, I believe now that the doctors are just kind of beginning to understand how deep this thing can go. And, you know, it's something that's it's going to be a long time before they actually figure out how, you know, they can probably treat this as well as they probably can. But I, I don't think we're even close to that yet. And Steve, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I truly think uh, we're just scratching the surface when it comes into these invisible injuries. You know, for instance, obviously TBI being the topic of what we're talking about. But the research that's being done, you know, the VA is definitely leading the charge. Uh, I'm very proud of the research the VA has done to really get after what the residual effects are from, you know, concussions, TBI. And, you know, I'm part of an actual TBI study. And I'll tell you, they're doing a great job identifying things, but you're right. We're a long ways from the end to really seeing what all the effects will be. So, you know, um, I don't want to dwell too much on that. I know that's, you know, a personal thing. But when you got home, now you you joined the, obviously, you joined the DAV. How long ago was that that you actually became a member and became active? Well, actually, I didn't become a member uh, until 2012. I came home in 2007, didn't join until 2012. It's one of the things that the DAV were really trying to uh, really focus on, and that's our outreach. But I got very active right away in 2012 uh, when I joined because it fell right in line with who I am. And that is, as a leader, not only in the military, but as a person myself, I see them really trying to set the bar and get after helping disabled veterans and make sure that they're getting all the help that they, they need. And that's what drove me. That's what excited me about joining and being active with the DV because they're so passionate and they're so focused on helping disabled veterans. Yeah, absolutely. And I forgot to mention, I believe that you're a command sergeant major, are you not? I am. I'm a command sergeant major of the 34th Infantry Division here at the Minnesota National Guard Division unit up here in Minnesota. Um, I was just selected for that position here in November of 2019. So it's a great honor to, you know, to lead thousands of soldiers, but also to be that metric piece to really make sure that even when that soldier decides to take the uniform off, that they know that they have another family that they're, they can be part of to help them through their the rest of their life with any struggles that they may have or challenges that they may have. 
Absolutely. And that's what good sergeant majors do. They look out after their troops. So Absolutely. That, that's that, our that's our, and, that's what we're there for. And that's exactly what you're still doing with the disabled American veterans. And let's talk a little bit about that. I know that as you've you worked your way up and now you're the national commander, that has to be a lot of appearances, probably a, a lot of probably things you probably don't enjoy. I would imagine there there's you know, there's holidays takes involved but at the same time you're on the cutting edge of making policy exactly you know the dv being the national commander is such an honor to represent the million plus members that we have by making sure that our voices are being heard in dc but also in our local areas as well you're right there was some things that i really wasn't comfortable with going into but i'll tell you uh, the more i do it i'll definitely get more comfortable with speaking on behalf of our membership and all the disabled veterans out there about the importance of making sure that they are truly taken care of. You know, and our member, when our veterans service members go off to fight and protect our country, raising that hand, and our elected officials come back and say, we'll take care of you, we'll take care of you, the DEV is there to make sure that the elected officials don't forget what they, they promised. And, you know, it's definitely a battle every day. But I'll tell you, the DEV and being a national commander, we are so focused on making sure that our, our voices are being heard. I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and founder of The Crate Club. Tired of the same old gift ideas? Want military-grade survival gear delivered to your doorstep? Then get Crate Club, the box built by Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and Special Ops guys. With backpacks, holsters, and more military-grade gear, it's the perfect gift for the guy in your life. Subscribe to Crate Club, and we'll also include The Killing School, my best-selling ebook about America's elite snipers. That's CrateClub.com, C-R-A-T-E, Club.com. Can I ask you a couple of questions about, you know, I know some of the issues that as the national commander, you've been bringing up to some of our lawmakers. And I wanted to ask you about how is the transition assistance program going for, you know, troops that are because we've had I mean, we've had a couple of wars now that have lasted a very, very long time. We have a lot of troops that are going to need assistance when they get out, when they decide to finally either retire or transition out and get out before their retirement. Are we doing enough for that? Well, you know, are we doing enough? I would say we're going in the right direction, Steve. Um, I think mm-hmm. you know, between the DOD and VA, they're really trying to focus on putting the resources where they would have the biggest impact. And I think one of the biggest things that we're really trying to focus on is that transition piece of when that active duty soldier takes that uniform off, there's a clear handoff with DOD to VA. Uh, the VA just rolled out a program that's within 30 days or 60 days, I can't remember the exact date, uh, timeline, that that soldier would get a phone call from the VA saying, hey, we see you're no longer in the military. You know, please make sure you stop by and register with the VA so we can make sure you, you get all the systems that you need. So they're going in the right direction. I think the mm-hmm. piece that we really got to focus on, though, is making sure that before that soldier leaves that base, he or she is truly sitting down with an actual service officer and understanding what benefits are out there, right? Because it's so confusing. You know, most of our service members, when they leave and now they're a veteran in the community, the general public, they don't even know what, what they have access to. Um, and they sometimes got to learn the hard way. And so I think that's an area that we got to continue to improve. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I testified before our Joint Veterans Affairs Committee out in D.C., and I really stressed that hard that there has to be a better handoff with DOD to the veterans community and that we really got to continue to improve that. I know, I know the, uh, 
the DAV is also heavily involved with career fairs for soldiers who are either getting out shortly or have just gotten out. How are those going? See, that was a great program that we started here. They're going really, really well. Uh, we're actually looking at making a few more tweaks, changes to the, our, our employment program. Uh, we're starting to see some great results. You know, in 2018 alone, we had 100, 145 uh, either career fairs or virtual career fairs out there. And we had great results where the veterans and or uh, veterans family members got some great opportunities to get hired on with great companies. But we want to take it to another level. So we're really doing some research to make sure we're expanding that program and maybe identifying the disabled veteran employment or not employment, but the employer, right? Make sure that these veterans maybe go out and, you know, have opportunity to have their own company and things like that. So that's been a great program and we're making a big impact on helping a lot of disabled veterans. That's excellent. I, you know, uh, that was something I wish when I got out that was available to me. <laughs> I won't uh, date myself too much, but yeah, that wasn't there. I mean, uh, you know, I was just kind of one day you're in uniform and the next day you're not. And it was it's it's a big wake up call after you've been in for so many years. It, it truly is. So uh, I think that's a great thing. I, I wanted to ask you about I know this is something that you testified about because I, I saw a blurb of this um, on television, the Caregiver Act, and how how are we standing with that? You know, that was a great, I'm glad we have it in there. And, you know, a week and a half after I testified on the caregiver's bill, we actually got a message from the secretary of the VA that they are in the process of uh, changing that policy where they'll actually uh, hopefully have the writing where they're, they're looking to add the word illness. So it's mm-hmm. really been a big, that's a big thing for us because we want to make sure those veterans that were, you know, they have injuries because of the illness, maybe uh, like I referenced in my testimony, our past national commander, Dave Riley, where he lost all four limbs due to a blood bacteria. He isn't covered because it's actually not an actual injury. And that's just wrong. I mean, all that happened because of an actual his service. And uh, we got to make sure we take care of that so his spouse can get the care because his spouse literally left her job, all her retirement on the table to stay at home to take care of her, her husband, but she's not eligible for it. So it was great to hear that the VA is getting after that and going to hopefully make that change. And that when that rolls out, that's going to be a big win for our disabled veterans. Now, when it comes to that Caregiver Act, the guys who experienced, and you might have when you were in Iraq, those burn pits, would that be covered under that act? Right now, yes. Yeah. So, so anybody is uh, post 9-11, the caregivers is covering right now. Post okay. We're actually trying to go actually the caregivers of pre-9-11, so the Vietnam era, Korea era. We have a few of World War II yet. I can't forget about them. And then those, so that's the big focus right now. But the burn pit piece, anybody that's post 9-11, they are covered with the caregivers. Okay, great. And I know that uh, another issue I know that the uh, DAV has been working on is the guys from Vietnam, the Agent Orange guys. And, you know, if you could talk about that for a minute, we could uh, keep our readers in the loop. You know, we have been able to do a big push. You know, just last year they passed the Blue Water Navy Veterans Act, which was a huge win. We've been pushing for that, you know, for a long, long time. Um, Our big focus now on the Agent Orange is adding the four presumptive uh, illnesses that have been proven by studies by the professional medical field out there, and that is to adding, you know, hypothyroidism, bladder cancer, and uh, 
things like that. But unfortunately, when we push that, these are all proven since 2016. Just a few months back, Secretary of the VA came out and said, uh, yeah, we're going to do our own research and uh, we'll make a determination later on in the year. And that's just unacceptable. So we really, we sent a letter to um, the president asking him to have the secretary reevaluate that and uh, make sure we're taking care of those veterans. Unfortunately, we haven't heard anything back on it. But I do know that when I was out there in D.C. here a couple weeks ago, speaking to a couple of senators and congressmen, that they too sent letters to the secretary saying, okay, enough is enough. You know, we got to take care of all these veterans. We have thousands and thousands of these Vietnam veterans that have been suffering for years on hyperthyroidism, uh, bladder cancer, whatever it may be, that still cannot get service connected for it, even though there is science, proven science out there that those illnesses are a result of Agent Orange. So we got to keep pushing hard and we're going to continue to push hard, making sure that the VA helps those veterans as well. That's outstanding. Is there any other big issues that, you know, the DAV is pushing this year that trying to get uh, attention in Congress that you want to talk you know, about? Right now? Absolutely. I think the next big one is the new uh, Agent Orange and that is going to be the burn pits. You know, Steve, you referenced it a little earlier about how I talked about it. I think that's another hot topic, the new, uh, another big issue that we're going to really keep our thumb in the pulse and making sure that our currently serving Iraq, Afghanistan veterans, OIF, even back to the Gulf War, uh, those veterans that were exposed to all these toxins uh, don't have to wait like the Vietnam veterans did for the Agent Orange, waiting 30, 40 years to get service-connected for all these illnesses when there's science and research being done. So that's our, our big push right now. We actually had a Senate file be a Senate bill introduced this year, and we're hearing that hopefully later Within the next week or two, we'll have a House uh, Silver Companion Bill introduced, mm-hmm. uh, getting where the veterans that are that can be proven that they were stationed on bases that these burn, pay, uh, burn pits uh, were, it automatically assumes that these these veterans were exposed to it, would make it, which makes it easier to get it to be a directly service connected versus an actual uh, presumptive. Outstanding. So we're really going to keep pushing hard on that as well. We really are. Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, as a disabled veteran myself, and I, somebody who goes to the VA hospitals all the time, I go two to three times a week for different appointments and whatnot. One of the things I think that the DAV does that people don't understand and what a great thing that it is, and I, I just wanted to mention this, uh, I'm sure you know all about it, the volunteer drivers, I mean, I see the vans all the time that shuttle them. I'm fortunate enough where I can drive myself. You know, I can go there, drive my car and park there. There's a lot of our veterans who can't. You know, I see the vans all the time and the buses who pick up these guys. And those volunteer drivers, I think, do a tremendous job. I can't imagine a more fulfilling role for some of those guys because they're helping fellow veterans out. And they must save the government a ton of money. Oh, Steve, our transportation network program, like you said, the lifeline of that is our volunteers. And I got to do a big shout out and a big thank you to all those volunteers out there. You know, the volunteering to drive or volunteering just to help a veteran in whole. But, you know, like you're referencing these volunteer drivers, you know, just to put an estimate on it. So in 2018, the DAV volunteer drivers gave over 625,000 rides 
for veterans, you know, traveling over 17 million miles. I mean, just think about that number and how many veterans that's helping. Because uh, some of these rides, I'm talking, there's three, four, five veterans in that vehicle, you know, so that's not veterans. We're, we're helping millions and millions of veterans every year in this program. And um, if it wasn't for the veterans, uh, the volunteers, it would be huge. You, know, you talk about the taxpayer dollars, you know, since we started this program in 1987, Steve, We've actually driven over 19 million, uh, 19 million veterans to uh, appointments. That's I mean, great. that's just unreal. $80 million approximately. Since yeah. 1987, $80 million. Guys who volunteer their time. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the older vets that you see riding the vans, they need help. And the guys will, you know, they'll help them off the bus and, and get inside the hospital I just think they do a tremendous job, and I think all of you guys get a big tip of the hat for that because that is that's one of those behind the scenes things that unless you go to a VA hospital, you know, all the time you wouldn't see and you wouldn't even be aware of. And I this, you know, for a great organization that you guys are, I just think that's just another feather in the cap. You know, let's see about piggyback on that. Just to add, uh, you know, another new program that the DEV started just because how important that volunteer uh, transportation network is. We're expanding that, and we really want to want to do a big shout out to you know our volunteer for vets uh, program. Um, okay. Anybody interested in helping veterans or a veteran that needs help other than transportation, they can go to volunteerforvets.org and they can sign up and either sign up for needing help or if they want to help a veteran sign up and, you know, we can put them in contact with a veteran that needs some help uh, because we think that's also going to be our new, uh, that's our new uh, transportation program there. I think that's going to be bigger. We think about the impact that we can have helping those individual veterans with a small, maybe as simple as raking on a veteran's lawn in the spring or fall, uh, cleaning out a gutter and things like that. When that veteran can't do it anymore, it's it's hard, you know. Then the percent that the veteran goes pays money and some money there on fixed income. So finding that volunteer that's willing to maybe go put a little labor work in is going to be huge for us as well. Oh, that's outstanding! And I we encourage all of our listeners if they're uh, out there if if they can help, please do. There's a lot of uh, ab, a lot of very des- deserving veterans out there that can probably use some help. You know, I live in a, a very small town. So our veterans community here is kind of small, but at the same time, we're very self-supporting and we're out there and we help each other. But there's some guys out there that don't have that. And we encourage all our listeners to do that. Butch, I want to thank you very much for your time. I know you're a real busy man. I don't want to keep you all afternoon, but I really want to thank you on on behalf of everyone here at softrep.com for all of our listeners. Uh, We want to thank you. You know, thank you for your service. Thank you for your national service that you're continuing. And uh, all the best to you. Hi, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for taking time. And it was an honor for me to be on your program. And thank you for uh, letting us get our our word out there about uh, the DAV and all the good things we're doing. And uh, thank you again. Sure thing. So that'll do it here at SoftRep Radio. As we like to say around here, on time, on target, SoftRep.com radio. We want to thank our our guests today, Butch Whitehead, the National Commander for the Disabled American Veterans. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.